He's good. He's so good. When you're turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 8 very quickly, I want to teach you a little bit about being postured for revelation, learning how we can um, posture ourselves to uh, receive from God. In the second session, I'm going to touch a little bit on how to activate and how to recognize the language of heaven. Just how many of you met with God last night in a, in a very tangible way? Fantastic. How many were healed last night of something God uh, touched you in a physical way? So what happened to, to you? Come on. We'll take that. What happened to a young lady at the back over there? So you, this young lady came to me last night. Do you mind if I share the story? She had uh, severe nightmares for a long time. And uh, last night you slept fine, no more nightmares. Come on. Okay, we, I'm going to help you a little bit. One of the things that I find fascinating is uh, the difference between Christians on a football pitch and Christians in a church building. So when we score a goal for England, when they do, um, I'm South African, I'm allowed to say that, sorry. And uh, everyone goes crazy. I remember watching uh, some of the football matches and listening to the whole neighborhood going absolutely berserk because a goal was scored. When we come to church and God does a healing, we kind of do this golf clap thing. Very good. Wonderful. As if God likes that. So when, when you hear stories of miracles, can I encourage you, even if you need to fake it till you make it, get happy. <laughs> get happy about what you're hearing. Because being happy about what God does, creating an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude multiplies the miraculous. Can you get that? When we begin to live in a place of being happy for, I'm happy for tummy aches as much as I'm happy for cancers that are getting healed. Because I'm learning that when I'm grateful for whatever God does, because he's doing it, it creates a platform for more. And so when you hear a story of God healing someone, can I ask you to pretend like England just scored a goal and you actually don't care and who's looking at you, you just get up and go crazy. Is that all right? Good. Is there anyone else just, uh, God did something significant for you last night? You know, God met with you in a very specific way. What happened to you, sir? Come on, we'll take that. You guys are getting it. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Hey, you know, I really do believe God wants to unlock and release and increase um, your activity of worship in this church in a very significant way. And, and so I really like that testimony. I believe God wants to do some more over the next few hours. Um, and we're going to keep pressing in. One of the things I'm learning is that we can so naturally default to what we've been used to, that when God begins to break in, we live in the realm of that which we're used to rather than pressing through 
into the unexpected. And uh, that's what we wanted to go for today. All right, that's what we wanted to press in. I believe tonight there's going to be some more significant miracles. I love the story of this young guy who's had a, a lazy eye and has had to wear glasses in order to see far and now puts his glasses on and it gets all blurry. I think that's really cool. That's the God. You guys are getting it. I know for some people in England, being undignified is to lift your hands. And that's okay. We're going to work with wherever you're at. But let's just get happy when God does stuff. Luke chapter 8 and verse 4. Some of you will know the story. And I want to just pull some points out about how we posture ourselves to hear from God and to prepare a secret place where God begins to meet with us in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell amongst thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and healed it a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, don't you love the disciples? They're not the brightest. And I just love how honest the Bible is about that, because I can totally identify with that. I am not educated in any kind of way. And so when I read things, I'm thinking, Jesus, what really are you saying? And I love the fact that he obliges them. And he says this, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. In Matthew it says the seed is the word of the kingdom. All right? And the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in the time of testing fall away. And as for what fell amongst the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches, and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. One of the things I began to realize in my journey with God is that there is a secret place that we are called to cultivate with him. And there is no shortcut to the secret place. There is no uh, kind of five-step program to get closer to God. It is all about relationship. And uh, one of the biggest questions people often ask me about the prophetic, particularly with regards to getting accurate revelation and getting words of knowledge at pinpoint situations, is how do you get that right? Well, the key for me is not in simple mental ascent. It's not simply in an ability to gather more information, read more books on the prophetic, read more uh, dissertations on why we need prophets today. No, the key is relationship. The Bible says in Ephesians that our heart 
has eyes. So Paul prays, God, open the eyes of my heart. The word heart is a word there that speaks of your mind, your will, and your emotions. God is wanting to invade the area of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And one of the things we tend to do, and I've heard people say this, is, you know, just don't worry about your mind, just press into God. Have you heard that? The reality is, my mind needs to be renewed around the purposes of God in order for me to enjoy Him. And the place of my heart is like a garden that God wants to cultivate, that we need to cultivate. We all need green fingers. And it's in the cultivation of our heart that we prepare our heart for revelation and a place of receiving the word of the kingdom. Now I want to mention some things about the kingdom of God because one of the things I've noticed in the church is we preach a gospel of good news. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus paid the price. You get to go to heaven. But that is not the fullness of the gospel. The Bible calls us to preach a gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the righteous, gracious rule and reign of God expressed through his people, the church, and planet Earth. That's a good point right there. All right? We have the privilege of being those who carry the kingdom. And so the Bible says the kingdom does not come through observation. It doesn't come through looking, there it is, or there it is. The kingdom of God is in you. You have a gatekeeping um, responsibility of either holding the kingdom to yourself or extending the kingdom wherever you go. The reason the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail the kingdom uh, against the kingdom of God is that you and I are called to be those who, like seed, the Bible says, are sown out into the world, right into the place where the enemy is, And we get to be a gatekeeper and release God's righteous, gracious rule and reign wherever we are, be it in work, university, whatever place of influence we have, we extend the kingdom. It's amazing to think that God entrusts us with such a great responsibility. And together with his sovereignty, we get to partner with him in extending the kingdom. The nature of this kingdom is an ever-increasing kingdom. That means that it gets more, not less. I've read the book, and at the end, we win. That's not some fatalistic thing. I'm not some triumphalistic uh, gospel preacher. I believe in the triumph of the church. I believe that one day it will be better than it started. I thank God for that. Do I believe we're going to go through some difficulties? You betcha. But I tell you what, in the context of difficulties and suffering... God is still very good to me, and I still get to walk in his kingdom. And so when we begin to understand that the kingdom of God is not simply just a, a concept that's out there, but actually the kingdom of God dwells within us. And the Bible says in Matthew, concerning this parable, that the word that he's talking about is the word or the seed of the kingdom. Now it's important for you to understand that The word of the kingdom is not simply in expression, it is always in demonstration. Jesus never said something without demonstrating it. In fact, most often he has to explain what's already demonstrated because the kingdom has come upon people. We must be a church and a people who express the power of God and the power of the kingdom because the Bible says the kingdom is not simply in word, it is in power. Unless we dupe the world into thinking that we have power, we need to demonstrate it in our churches. 
And one of the things I, I'm passionate about is to begin to see every member realizing the very potential of the kingdom of heaven inside of you to do the very stuff that Jesus did. We must be a people of the kingdom and the the cultivation of your heart, the cultivation of the soil of your heart, the secret place, will depend on the yield of fruitfulness in the kingdom. That's what this parable is all about. It's about receiving the word of the kingdom so that it bears fruit. God has called you to a life of fruitfulness. But for most Christians, we try and look for the easy way out. We try and look for the latest book that we can find to get us to that position very quickly. Most, uh, a number of people are saying to me, Julian, I want what God's done in you. Can you pray for me? I'm going, I'd love to pray for you, and I'll pray that God gives you as much as I've got and more. But the reality is there's a journey that I've had to walk through to get where I'm at in terms of cultivating my heart. Not because I'm so clever, not because I've got it together, but because he's so good and so irresistible. And so I'm wanting to cultivate my heart. I'm wanting to cultivate the garden, the soil of my heart, so that when I receive words from the kingdom, when I receive God's seed of kingdom purpose, as it were, I want it to bear maximum fruit. And if you want to flow in the place of revelation, if you want to flow in the prophetic, your heart and what you do with your heart is of utmost importance, which is why the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the issues of life. We live in a society that encourages free thinking without evaluating anything. And the result is whatever we put in will eventually come out. And it's important that as Christians, we begin to get back to the place of developing a heart after God. Developing a secret place where we get to encounter him. Friends, I'm going to touch on a few things in terms of these different soils. And I want to pull out some points out of them. But I want to say to you that there is no magic wand that we're going to be able to wave over you today to get you to the place where you constantly are developing a heart after God. You see, even just this time of worship, how many of you sense the nearness of God as we were worshiping a moment ago? You sense his presence. The key, friends, is living in that place because God begins to highlight things in your heart and things begin to change. And you know, one of the things I used to do is I often used to teach on the prophetic and give all the dynamics of the prophetic, how to hear from God, how to get the things happening. And I missed out the key element, sonship and the secret place. And I want to say this again. If we simply do the stuff without relationship, we're no better than slaves. It must be doing things with God, not for him. And the problem with living like this, or the challenge of living like this, is it means you have to reorientate your mind to sonship. You have to reorientate the way you think to be predisposed to relationship. And the, pro, the, the joy of relationship with the Father is he's not just out to tell you what to do like a robot. He's out to involve you with what he is doing. 
We must develop a secret place with God. If we don't develop a secret place with God, the revelation that we receive will simply not bear fruit. Now, I want to just touch on some of the soils of our heart because, um, I mean, I certainly am not a God and I have no, absolutely no clue about gardening. But I do know this, that the health of your soil will determine the health of what you grow. What's happening in your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions, where your affections are, where your heart is uh, um, focused, the things that you call to do, what happens in that area, if you don't make sure that it's orientated around the purposes of God, you'll miss out on fruitfulness in your life. And so the first soil I want to talk a little bit about is the soil that the Bible calls a hardened heart. And one of the things I've noticed about my life is that there have been moments where my heart's become hard and full of unbelief. And I can be in meetings like these, I can be in context hearing stories of God's goodness, but cynicism and unbelief creeps up. I'm obviously the only one who struggles with that. And, um, <laughs> and my ability to question what God is doing is not motivated for authenticity, it's motivated because of doubt and unbelief. One of the things I love about Jesus is he never rebukes the person receiving prayer for their lack of faith. Have you noticed that? So if he's praying for somebody, he say to that person, you've got a lack of faith. But he certainly does rebuke his disciples for a lack of faith. Faith is something we don't really talk a lot about anymore in the Christian world. Because we want to be nice and pastoral and not blame anyone. But the truth is that if you're a disciple of Jesus, faith is a prerequisite. Jesus rebuked his disciples, the ones he loved. He said, you of little faith, how much longer do I have to be with you? And I find that sometimes there's a hardness of heart. And I, I do, I always find it fascinating. We can be in meetings where people are getting touched by God. And please, I want to reiterate, being touched by God is not simply about a manifestation that you receive physically. It's about a deep encounter that affects your heart. And we can be in meetings where God's moving, God's doing some amazing things, yet walk away completely unaffected by it because of a hardness of heart. Jesus rebukes the disciples um, when he's on the ship in the middle of the storm. You remember that story? And uh, he talks to his disciples about the bread of, or the leaven of uh, the Pharisees and of Herod. And uh, he rebukes them because of the hardness of their heart. They thought he was talking about bread on the ship. So remember, he, he, he talks about, did you not remember the miracle of the bread? And they're kind of going, should we get more bread? What's going on? And Jesus goes, because of the hardness of your heart, you're missing an opportunity for the miraculous. And sometimes we can walk through miracles, we can be doing stuff and still have a hardness of heart. I was doing some meetings a few years ago and uh, the power of God was moving in an amazing way. I saw God do some phenomenal things. It was one of those kinds of glory meetings. You know, one of those meetings where it's just all happening really good. Presence of God, people getting healed, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I walked out the meeting feeling like I was in cloud nine, full of the glory. 
And uh, the Lord said to me, that was a good meeting, wasn't it? Now, I've learned to recognize that when God asks, asks me a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he's wanting to reveal something in my own heart. And so I said, yeah, God, that was a good meeting. And he said to me, it was so good, yet you were totally unaffected by my compassion or by my heart for those people. <laughs> not many ministers will tell you this. Um, but I realized that it was true. I'd become so slick and professional that I could do this stuff and not even recognize his anointing and his presence and the compassion for the people I was ministering to. Hardness of heart. It's because I'd not kept a heart that was cultivated. I'd not kept a heart that had begun to be dealt with, had begun to pull up rubbish, begun to move up stuff. And you know, after a while, when soil is not looked after, and people walk all over it, and things happen, it just becomes hard and impenetrable with the word of the kingdom. Friends, we must break hardness of heart. We must learn to get impressed with God. We must. We've got to learn to be in a place where actually we get so impressed with him. And it doesn't matter what happens, we're completely overwhelmed by him again and again and again. Hardness of heart will stop us from enjoying fresh revelation from him. Unbelief, one of the biggest, you know, the only sin that God can't forgive you of is the sin of unbelief. Because you actually have to choose to believe him. We've got to deal with unbelief and cynicism. cynicism. We've got to deal with the sense of, well, I don't know if God can do that. I remember when people started getting gold dust in meetings that I was doing. Now, I just want to say this. I was not asking Jesus for gold dust. In fact, when gold dust first started happening, I was offended by it. People would be in meetings and gold would start pouring on their hands or on their face. I was in one meeting with this lovely lady who was hilarious. Um, I just started getting gold all over her face. I said, ma'am, do you wear makeup? She went, no, never. I didn't want to say maybe you should. I didn't. Um, but uh, <laughs> God poured out this amazing gold on her face. I mean, it was covered. People in the meeting, they were, some of them were going home and sleeping, waking up, bringing pillowcases of gold that just been covered while they were sleeping. I mean, it was amazing. And I remember thinking, I didn't ask Jesus for this. I mean, it's not like, you know, before the meeting, I'm going, God, please, would you pour out some gold dust tonight? Please, please, can't cross my fingers. It just was happening. And I remember someone saying to me, I'm really offended by the emphasis you're putting on the gold dust. And I remember thinking, I didn't put any emphasis on it. God did. He poured it out upon people. It wasn't like I was going, oh, look, we can get some gold dust now. It just happened. And we become, so we become so full of cynicism and hard-hearted to what God's doing because it doesn't fit our understanding of what God's doing. It doesn't fit our mold. It doesn't fit our box. Do you know the, one of the biggest keys to understanding if you've got a religious spirit is when you get offended with somebody else because God's blessing them more than he's blessing you. <laughs> I'll say amen to that point myself. 
When God doesn't do it the way you expect him to do it, when he doesn't fit your tradition, your style, or even your theology, and you get offended because it's happening down the street, it's a clear sign that you've got a religious spirit. God never tells us to value a move of God by their theology. He tells us to value a move of God by their fruit. <laughs> Can I get a Pentecostal amen on that point? I'm, I, I was just watching, I feel a little Pentecostal today. I was just watching a bit of Catherine Coleman and Brian's house before we came. So in a moment, I might start singing hallelujah or something like that. But I she was crazy. And I tell you what, if Catherine Coleman was alive today and Catherine Coleman came to England today, I don't know if I'd be visiting that meeting. Because she doesn't fit my box, she doesn't fit my mold, she certainly doesn't fit my theology. I know I'm the only one who feels like that, of course. <laughs> Unbelief, high-heartedness. Do you know, God is wanting a people who make sure that the soil of the heart is freshly tilled every day, ready to receive revelation from him. Talks about the rocky ground. Talks about the ground that... Um, that has an inability to root things. It has an inability to take what God is saying and to root it in your life because it's hard and it's rocky and it's uncultivated and it's not been tilled and it's not had much water. That's the problem with rocks. It's just not had much water. And uh, one of the things I'm learning is that I want to be those one of those who soak in the presence of God. That word, uh, you know the word baptismo is a Greek word which is actually found in some recipe books in the ancient world because it was the word for marinate. Now, I'm from South Africa and we do meat really good. We have what's called a braai, which is kind of like an English barbecue except we have real meat. <laughs> none, of, none of this kind of burgers. We have cow on the coals. That's the way it's done in South Africa. And what we do with that cow is we soak it in some red wine, garlic, a little bit of rosemary. <laughs> Just really, really. And we do it overnight. Why? Because we want the flavor to get in the flesh of that meat. I want to be a soaker and marinator in the Holy Spirit. I want the flavor of the Holy Spirit to get into my flesh. You see, the thing about this rocky ground is that it becomes a place where when God speaks to us, nothing gets filtered, planted, nurtured, and cultured. We just leave it and discard it because we do not value what God says. Friends, we've got to make sure that every part of our, our, our heart has been dealt with. We've got to make sure that we are completely watering ourselves in the very depths of his presence. You see, your heart needs to be cultivated around the presence and the coming of the Spirit. We need the reign of the Holy Spirit upon us every single day. 
We, I'm dead. I cannot. I cannot do. I cannot sustain the level of ministry that I'm at. I cannot sustain the miraculous that I live in. I cannot sustain uh, the prophetic. I cannot sustain a blessed thought without the reign of His Spirit. Because when I receive from Him, it's an opportunity for fruit to begin to grow. It's incredible that it says that uh, the cares of this world comes against them and there's because there's no roots. And I find many Christians like this, happy as long as it's going nice. God's looking for some people who take the word of his kingdom, the promises that he's given, revelation that he speaks over us and root it in our life so that it begins to bear some fruit. We've got to make sure that we are digging away at things. We've got to make sure that we are watering the garden of our heart, the secret place with the rain of the Holy Spirit. One of the things the Bible says in Psalm 105 and verse 19 is that the word of the Lord tested Joseph until what he had said came to pass. If I tell you what, prophetic lines would decrease if they knew that after you got your prophetic word, there's going to be a season of testing. I love it when people come and say, can I get a prophetic word? What I often want to say to them is, do you want some testing? Friends, we've got to make sure our heart is cultivated. The third soil that he talks about is sowed amongst thorns. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, and this is where I really want to focus on a little bit. I don't know if you've noticed that thorns seem to grow up by themselves. You don't need to plant them. You notice that? It's not like you have to work hard at getting thorns and, and weeds into your garden. They're just there. They grow. And one of the things that I've noticed is that because many Christians do not deal with issues, do not work through the issues and the cares of the, of the world, do not work through the deeper issues of the heart, thorns grow up and squash the life of God out of them. And they just simply become empty shells rather than filled people with the Holy Spirit. And if we're to really demonstrate the prophetic, if we're to really flow in the prophetic, if we're to really minister in the supernatural and create a culture where God moves, we've got to make sure that our heart is sorted. We've got to make sure that we pull some thorns out. And I want to talk a little bit about some thorns just for a moment. We've got to deal with some past issues that haven't been dealt with. Begin to grow up and squash the life out of you. You see, what you keep in secret will always have power over you. What you keep in secret will always have power over you. See, the enemy loves to play in the place of darkness and shame. And what you do not expose in the light will have control over you and you'll live under the guilt and the shame of that thing and therefore you'll never really enjoy revelation from heaven that propels people forward and builds the church and extends the kingdom. And it squashes the life of Jesus out of you. If there are issues in the past that you need to deal with, can I encourage you? Get rid of it. Deal, talk to someone. Bring it out into the open. Ephesians chapter 5 talks so clearly that we are now children of light. And where the light goes, it exposes the darkness. 
And we've got to make sure that issues that have held us in the past are dealt with clearly. Do you know what the great thing is? Is when you can say, do you know what? There is not a sin, there's not an issue that I have had that I've not told someone about and therefore nothing is going to hold me. And the problem is for some of us, because we're so dominated by shame culture, by culture that says, shame on you if you've done something wrong, by culture that says that uh, if you don't get it right, don't even try. You see, if I may be so bold as a South African to say, and there are loads of issues in South Africa, so when you come to my nation, you can tell me all about it. But if I could be so bold as to say, in this culture, we celebrate failure. And our predisposition is to failure. I find it fascinating that we can, in this, in this culture, we'll pay people to live in the place of failure. So they don't have a job or they don't have income. We pay them to live in that way. Now I understand, I thank God for a good social system. I think it's important and it's biblical. But it's supposed to be for the poor, the marginalized and the broken. Not for the well and able-bodied. And we celebrate failure. You just need to look at the tabloids. You just need to look at newspaper. You just need to look at the church. And shame and failure go so uh, together that for many of us, we are afraid to step on in what God's called us to do. We're afraid to step on in the gifts of the Spirit. We're afraid to step on in the miraculous just in case we fail. And so we're encouraged to be passive and not to do anything because if you don't get it right, why even try? Do you know, friends, I've had to learn because there's some days where my words of knowledge and the flowing and the gifts of the Spirit is almost 100% wrong for that meeting. And there I am, man of power for the hour, bringing all these words and not making sense to anyone. And I walk off the building thinking, oh my word, what just happened? And I realize that it's all about his grace and his kindness and doesn't matter whether I get right or wrong, I'm still a son. You see, it doesn't matter whether you get it right or wrong. There's still a son. You need to get that right now. The Spirit of God is on that point just there. Because we bred fearful Christians who are afraid to step up because of shame, because of failure, because of thorns that have begun to squash the life of God out of something that could be very fruitful. Friends, we've got to get rid of some junk. We've got to clear the deck, as it were. Shame will always control you until you realize that Jesus took your shame on the cross as a naked man and experienced the most awful shame so that you could get his honor and glory on your life. He got what we deserve so that we get what he deserves. You must realize that because I tell you what, coming to a weekend like this, let me just help you a little bit because I don't know if many preachers do this, but coming to a weekend like this, there is an inner turmoil in my heart going, God, if you don't rock up, what's going to happen? 
If there are no miracles, what's going to happen? If there are no prophetic words, what's going to happen? What happens if I don't preach well? What happens if people don't like me? What happens if uh, we have cultural clashes? What happens if I can't handle the pressure? God, what, what? And until I get the settled, that there's no shame, there's no failure, there's no fear in the presence of God, that it doesn't matter whether I get it right or wrong, it doesn't matter whether you're impressed or not, he's good, he's God, and he's my father. And the incredible thing is that the failure in the kingdom is always failing forward, never failing backwards. Because I'm on an escalator of grace. It's always going up in an ever-increasing measure. We need to change the culture in our local churches to be one of failure is not celebrated. It is anticipated, but it's not celebrated in the way that causes people to come under shame. It's anticipated and made room for in a way that causes people to ascend the escalator of grace. You see, fear, shame and failure are like thorns that will squash the ability for you to enjoy revelation from God. There's some of you who are still living under shame, areas of shame in your life. Some of you are still living under areas of failure in your life. God wants to free you up from that. Because you know what? God's not looking for wounded people on the battlefield. He's looking for people who know his grace and his kindness. And, And I want to say this again. I've had to get some of this junk out of my own heart. In fact, I'm continually getting this junk out of my own heart. I was sharing a testimony of how last year I was in a conference in a church in Redding, California. I'm on the floor. I mean, this is incredible. The great thing is no one knew me there, so it was fantastic. I'm on the floor. And all of a sudden, all this gunk started coming out. I mean, I thought I was a good Christian. I thought I'd hack this together, you know, international ministry. I mean, I put it together. And then I realized the deceptiveness of my own heart because I've left it uncultivated. God began to pull some stuff out. And it was painful. In fact, some of it was just demonic. It doesn't mean I was demon-possessed, so don't worry about that. It just means that there was a stronghold that the enemy had influence in. God, going to break that stuff off of me. You're going to show me that actually what's more important to him is not my ability, but my availability. What's more important to him is not my, my, my ability to follow his commands. What's more important to him is the fact that I'm a son. And it all flows from that. I've been more productive in the last year than I had in my entire ministry because something shifted and changed. It was no longer simply about what I could offer him. It was all about what he could offer me. He is really good. The second area that often begins to grow in the heart, I'm just touching on some things. There are loads of things I could touch on. But I felt like I wanted to touch on a few things because of where God was wanting to, what God was wanting to do with this church. And so that's where I'm, I'm going. Is that Okay. 
Thorns could be anything. So I'm just wanting to pull out a few. Talk about the cares of this world, materialism, all that kind of stuff. But one of the biggest areas, one of the biggest stumbling blocks to creating a culture of the supernatural, to creating a culture of the miraculous, is, is in two areas. One is being convinced that God is really good. And two, overcoming disappointment. One of the areas that will squash the life of God out of you is disappointment. I find that many Christians live in a place of, of disappointment and the accusing finger to God. God, why didn't you heal my mother of diabetes? God, why didn't you heal my friend of cancer? God, why haven't you healed me physically of the issues that I'm struggling with? And we live with this latent disappointment. The problem with disappointment is, and I'm probably going to touch a little bit more tonight on this, the problem with disappointment is that if it's left unchecked, it creates an offense to the character of God. Because you always live in the place of, I know God is supposed to be good, but he disappointed me in this area, so is he really good? It's the age-old tactic of the enemy. If he can get you to have a distorted view of the Father, he's got you under his control and power. Now, friends, I don't know what you've been through, and I don't want to devalue what you've been through, and I don't want to devalue the pain that you've gone through. But if you're living in a place of disappointment and anger towards God, it will block you off from enjoying a life of sonship a life of the miraculous and a life of the supernatural breaking out. And the reason is because your foundation will never be on the fact that he really is very good. Now, do I understand why he hasn't healed my body? I struggle with sickness in my body. Do I understand why he hasn't healed my body? Do I understand why he didn't heal someone else? Why someone had to die of cancer? I remember the first three years of healing ministry for me. were just some of the most disastrous years of ministry. First person I prayed for died. Was not pleasant. I had to then walk out of the room. And, and so please hear me. I, I was an elder for seven years in a local church. I know the tension of having to do funerals after believing and believing and believing and God doesn't heal. I know that tension. But somewhere along the line, I have to allow my faith to be regulated by what I do know about God, not what I don't know about God. Because if I live in the place of regulating my faith by what I don't know about God, it will keep me in a place of unbelief. And what I do know about God is that he is very, very, very good. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is setting me up for favor, not for failure. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his goodness to me will be made manifest and one day every aspect of my life will be wrapped up in his goodness and all things will become new. And until you get convinced about that, you'll live in a place of disappointment and that disappointment will regulate what you believe about God and the result is you'll live in a place of never seeing the miraculous break out. And I had to learn how to deal with disappointment. I had to learn how to go to God after a meeting where numbers of people have got healed but that one person in the wheelchair didn't get healed. And I had to go to God and I had to say, God, I'm really disappointed. In fact, I feel angry. 
And I don't understand right now what's going on, but I'm going to choose to believe that sooner or later, your kingdom's going to break out on that body and that person is going to walk. Will it happen in this lifetime or the next? I'm going to choose to believe that you are inexplicably, wonderfully good and you will do good to me and to the person that I've been praying for. In fact, not only are you good to the person next door to me, but you want to be good to me. He wants to be good to you. And do you know what? There's nothing you can do to avoid his goodness. I've noticed that churches that move in the miraculous, people that move in the miraculous, they have a very well-developed understanding of the goodness of God. Does that mean suffering is not a part of my life? Absolutely not. Of course there's suffering. Do I believe that sickness is one of the ways that God teaches us lessons? Absolutely not. Sickness is not from God. It's from the devil. Do I believe he uses everything? Yes, he does. There's no waste in the kingdom. I do not believe that sickness comes from God. I do not believe God initiates sickness. I do not believe God puts sickness on people. And I'm talking about that living with sickness in my own body. Do I believe he uses many aspects, even suffering, even difficulty, to teach us and to grow us? Yes, he does. He does. I do believe that. But he's so very good. He's unbelievably good. In fact, Psalm 67 tells us right at the end that he wants to bless you so much that the nations will fear him. Now, one of the signs that God is with you is that he blesses you. Now, you might say, Julian, are you talking about prosperity? Yes, I am. Yes, I am, because the Bible says that the peace that's meant to govern our hearts is a peace that brings with it blessing and prosperity. Am I talking about comfort for comfort's sake? No. I'm talking about living a life that is generous with the good things that God's given us. Does God want me comfortable? Not at the expense of my character, but he does want to bless me. Does that make sense? Before you all walk out and say we've got the latest prosperity preacher in New Frontiers. Here's the deal about prosperity, though. That when you're blessed, it's an opportunity for people to fear God. That's what Psalm 67 says. Some of you are a bit convincing about the blessing of God, so I'll just touch on this a little bit longer. He really wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be financially looked after, fully provided for so that you can be a blessing to people. Does it happen overnight? No, some of us, it's a journey. There's no formula. There's no, there's no kind of five steps to financial freedom. Tithe 20% and you'll get a blessing from God. No, 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 no. It's all about grace and faith. God wants you blessed. God wants you blessed in the recession. Some of you are looking like you really need to get convinced about this. I'm just, I'm just going to hang out a little bit here because, you know, until I began to realize that the goodness of God was not something that was just pointed to other people, because I don't know about you, 
But I used to look at other people's blessings and think, gosh, how did they get that right? By the way, one of the keys to enjoying the blessing of God is learning to celebrate other people's blessings. So when your neighbor drives in with a brand new car, bless them. <laughs> Go buy them a bottle of something to say, well done on the new car. God wants to be very good to you. And you know what's, what's phenomenal is that actually if he never did another thing for us, he's already been so good to us. But he goes, I want to just be lavish because that's his nature. Friends, we've got to deal with disappointment. I, I'm coming for a landing in the next few moments. We've got to deal with disappointment. We've got to rip it out. We've got to take that thorn, pull it right out. And there's some of you, you know, one of the things that Jesus says to John the Baptist while he's in prison, and you'd have remembered the Messianic promise that God would come and this, this Christ, the one who's anointed, would come. He'd bring the gospel to the poor. He'd open the blinded eyes, cause the lame to walk, and set the prisoner free. Do you remember that? And John's stuck in prison. And Jesus tells his disciples, go, go tell John that the blind see, the lame walk. The poor have received the good news. And he stops it right there. John would have remembered the Messianic promise. And the prisoner goes free. But Jesus just touches on the three areas of the Messianic promise. He leaves the prisoner where he is. And he says to John, Blessed, extremely happy is the man who is not offended on account of me. There's some of you in a place of prison and you're feeling like, will God ever come for me? I don't know. But extremely happy is the man who is not offended at Jesus. John the Baptist didn't get his miracle. He didn't get set free from prison. But I tell you what, there's going to be a day that will tell the story of all of the goodness of God to John the Baptist. I tell you what, I don't know when my body's going to get healed physically. But there's going to be a day where I'll testify and say, surely he is good. I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. I love it when I hear older folk read Psalm 23. Particularly older folk who've been through some things. The difference between the Lord is my shepherd at 23 years old and the difference between the Lord is my shepherd at 78 years old is a world of difference. When I die... I'm not going to be having an appointing accusation finger against God. I'm going to be saying, surely he was good to me. Surely he's very good. We've got to deal with disappointment. Oh, gosh. We'll talk a little bit a bit later about developing a secret garden with the Lord. I'm just going to leave it right there because I feel like the presence of God is here and he wants to deal with some stuff in our hearts. In the next session, I'll touch on the end of this and then we'll go into how God speaks to us. I hope I've provoked something in you. Because you see, God wants to speak to you and he wants you to be in a place where your heart's cultivated. But I feel like there's some things we just need to deal with. And do some business with God. Is that alright? Why don't you just close your eyes and just love on him for a moment. We're just going to take five, ten minutes to do this. And God's going to set some people free. 
Some of you can get set free from years of disappointment, years of anger. Come, Holy Spirit. Release your anointing, the anointing which destroys the yoke of slavery. Come, come, Lord Jesus. As some of you have been dominated by mental health issues, an area of depression, and there's an underlying anger, you say, God, why me? God wants to bring freedom and he wants to heal you. Holy Spirit, set people free. Right now, he's just highlighting areas of your life, areas in your heart that you need to begin to cultivate. You need to begin to till the soil. They can come to you. There might be memories, thoughts that pop into your mind. Think, why did that just pop into my mind? He wants to deal with something there. There is a lady here. You grew up in an abusive home where your dad was physically abusive to you, physically abusive and spoke words of such negativity over you. And the result is you really hate yourself, actually. You look in the mirror and you hate yourself. Uh, I think you might even do some things to harm your body. Father wants you to know that you're beautiful and that he loves you. I just want everyone's eyes closed, nobody looking around at this moment. If that is you, I want to ask you just to quickly slip up your hand. Jesus wants to minister to you. You know that you've looked at this underlying hate and disappointment with yourself. God wants to minister to you. No one looking around. Just quickly slip up your hand and put it down. Okay, thank you. You can put your hand down now. In a moment, we're going to pray for some people and I want you to stand up and God's going to bring freedom to you. Holy Spirit, he's just beginning to touch some people. I know many of you begin to weep. I can see the presence of God coming on you. There's a businessman here. You uh, began to step out in business. You were doing very well and you felt God speak to you about a particular area and you stepped out in it and it was an absolute failure. And uh, you've just been disappointed. I think you might even be on the verge of, of losing lots and lots of stuff. And you say, God, why have you allowed this to happen? And there's been a disappointment that's come in. If actually quickly slip up your hand, the Lord wants to minister to you. The reason why I'm asking you to, thank you. The reason why I ask you to slip up your hand is not because I want to see, it's just an acknowledgement, an agreement that God's speaking. Come Holy Spirit. In a moment, we're going to pray for lots of people and and these guys will come out and these girls will come out and we're going to trust God for freedom. One of the areas that I didn't touch on, but actually I'm beginning to realize and you touch on more and more is in the area of unforgiveness. The thing that will harden your heart very quickly is unforgiveness. And there's some of you who live in unforgiveness. I feel like there's some young 
people yet. You're living in a place of unforgiveness towards friends who've hurt you. God wants to set you free right now. These things act as blockages, as things that harden your heart so you don't get to receive from the purposes of heaven and you're not able to receive revelation. People often ask, why can't I hear God's voice? Well, these are some of the reasons why that happens. Come Holy Spirit. It's just, yeah, he's wanting to touch some people. To bring one or two more words of knowledge, because God wants to speak to some people. There's somebody here, you've got God speak to you about emigration. And uh, you tried to emigrate and everything just fell apart. And you're back and you're saying, God, here I am, stuck, back where I started. And you've been asking God, why? I didn't have the answers, but I know God wants to free you from some disappointment around that. If actually you quickly won't you slip up your hand, God wants to minister to you. You actually went somewhere, you emigrated, you tried to make the thing happen, but it didn't happen the way you expected. In fact, you just quickly slip up your hand. I want to minister to you. Come, Holy Spirit. I just want to wait. I know there's somebody here like that. You just know there's deep disappointment as a result. Come, Holy Spirit. Okay, come, Holy Spirit. And some of you with long-term illnesses and God hasn't healed you. One of the things that often happens after I've spoken on this session, uh, many people with long-term illnesses get healed as they turn the finger of accusation away and lift up hands of praise to the Father. We've seen numbers of people with long-term illnesses get healed as a result. God wants to bring some healing to some of you. And some of you, when I began to talk about a culture of failure, you know that the reason why you've not stepped up to leadership, the reason why you've not stepped up bringing words, the reason why you've not prayed for the person at your workplace for healing is because you're afraid of failure and shame. God wants to remove that from you right now. And some of you who lived under a shame-based culture for a long time where your performance was monitored and if you didn't perform, there was shame that was spoken over you. And you can't get rid of that. God's going to set you free. If you know you need ministry in some of these areas, can I ask you to stand? And some of you, even on ministry team, you need to stand for this. this is, I want to say I had to deal with this in a public setting. It wasn't great, but God set me free from some things. If those words of knowledge made sense, you need to stand. God's going to set people free. Like the guys who responded to the words that I brought, if you could stand to. There's no shame here today, friends. There's no sin that you could ever commit that will stand against you in the presence of God because he's so good. There's some of you who live in the fear of the punishment of God. You live in a place where you feel like God is going to punish you rather than cherish you.
Freedom. Freedom's coming to his place right now. Oh. Freedom is coming to his place right now. Some of you are going to be freed of some memories. Whoa. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. She's a little boy standing in a corner weeping. And it's like your confidence just got stolen from you, even at a young age. And ever since then, you've had to work hard to prove yourself. Freedom. Freedom right now. Freedom right now. Father loves you. Freedom. Come, Holy Spirit. Release your anointing right now. Those of you standing right now, I'm going to pray. I think there are about three of you right now. It's like there's a tightness just around your head, like a tight band around your head, and you're feeling like an oppressive thing just around your head. The Lord's going to set you free right now. Some of you are going to feel literal shackles fall of you. Some of you have got like a, a, an underlying anger and an issue with temper. It's like you just fly off the handle very quickly. God's going to set you free from that right now that uh, work of the enemy. I want you to understand that uh, the way the demonic works is not necessarily through just uh, a full possession. The way the demonic works is by having influence in areas of your life where there are ungodly agreements. You see, what you agree to will give power in your life. And if you agree, the Bible says where two or three agree upon touching anything, it will be done. That works in the realm of the demonic too. If you agree with the enemy's assessment of you, that you're a failure, that you're not good enough, that you'll never achieve anything. Uh, If you agree with the enemy's assessment, sometimes even more subtly, that your motives are always wrong. That gives the enemy power and access to influence your life. And so the way you live is dominated by a filter that is demonically influenced rather than orientated around the truth of God's words. God's going to set you free right now. Just lift your hands, those of you standing. Father, in the name of Jesus, release the truth. Release the light of your spirit upon people, begin to expose areas of darkness, begin to break the realm of the demonic right now, begin to break agreements right now that people have made unconsciously or even consciously with the enemy now, in Jesus' name. And now I set people free. There it is. Freedom right now in Jesus' name. Be made whole in Jesus' name. I break the dominating force of the enemy's accusations against people now in Jesus' name. Loose off of people right now. Loose off of people right now in Jesus' name. That's it. Loose right now in Jesus' name. That's it. He's just setting you free right now in Jesus' name. Go right now. In the name of Jesus, right from the very root, right now, be freed. Be freed right now in Jesus' name. Be freed right now in Jesus' Some of you with a tightness around your, ba- your head right now, 
be released from that thing right now. There's some of you who have said of yourself, I can never really read the Bible because I'm not clever enough. I don't have commentaries. I don't, I don't really get an ability. I, I don't get it when I read the Bible. Sometimes, in fact, you fall asleep when you read the Bible. You can read any other book, but the minute you read the Bible, you fall asleep, and it's like there's an inability to receive revelation. If that's you, quickly stand to your feet. God wants to bring freedom. And I know there'll be many of you like that. You struggle to read the Bible. It's like the minute you start reading the Bible, you fall asleep. And it's like you struggle to receive fresh revelation from God's Word. You don't, and you, it's hard to contemplate, it's hard to understand. That is not your inheritance. The Word is alive. It, you don't even need a commentary to read the Bible. Because <laughs> it's alive. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I break the lie of the enemy that men and women would not receive revelation from your Word. In the name of Jesus, I command Every blinding work of the enemy to go now in Jesus' name. Loose off of people right now. I break shame. Shame, go right now. Go right now in Jesus' name. Go right now. Go. Some of you are are feeling things literally come out of you. You're feeling things lift off of you. That's God. Don't worry. God's just doing it. Shame, go. Go right now. Go right now. In Jesus' name. They want to tell you, you use words as a tool of power over people. What you say, and you find yourself saying things, you think, I can't believe that's come out of my heart. God wants to set you free right now. In the name of Jesus, I break control. I break fear. I break using words to dominate people right now in Jesus' name. Loose off of people right now. Freedom. Freedom in this place right now. Freedom to enjoy God. Freedom to enjoy His kindness. Freedom to enjoy the goodness of God. Freedom, freedom, freedom right now. Freedom from addictive behaviors right now. And some of you walk under such guilt. Be freed in Jesus' name. Sooner or later, you're going to have to believe that you really are forgiven. You're forgiven. It's not your portion to carry guilt anymore. Someone's getting that revelation right now. Enjoy it. You're free. The very deepest, darkest sin that you committed, you're free from. You have to believe that. You have to agree with God's perspective over you. If you don't, you'll live under the cloud of condemnation and guilt. Cultivate hearts right now, Lord. Going with the bulldozer of heaven. Turn that soil over right now in Jesus' name. (laughs) There's freedom coming right now. There's freedom coming right now. Freedom, freedom, freedom. I just want to wait one more minute. We'll have a break. Freedom, freedom, freedom right now. Freedom, break condemnation. I break guilt. I break the fear of man right now. Ooh, this is a big thing. Some of you, you constantly live 
in the fear of expectation of others and the opinion of others. Even decisions like where you live, what you're going to buy, what kind of things you have in your home. You live with the expectation and the fear of what other people think, let alone fear of when you bring prophetic words. If actually quickly scanned, you might be saying, but I know there are more of you. You live constantly under the fear of what people think. And you see, fear has got to do with control. And until you relinquish control and say, do you know what, God, you are good. You are good. It doesn't matter what happens, you are good. I'm not going to live under fear. I remember I lived for a long time under the fear of enjoying the blessing of God. I would get blessed. People would give me things and I would want to hide them away because I didn't want people to think that I was spending lots of money on stuff. I was afraid of what people thought about the blessing that God gave me. Some of you like that. Your fear of looking like you're living in the blessing of God. God wants you to enjoy it. Some of you, it's more subtle. You're afraid of what people think about you, what they say about you. And the opinion of man drives you. Freedom right now. Freedom, freedom, freedom in Jesus' name. I break the hold of the enemy that has dominated people for so long and I say whom the Son sets free is free indeed in Jesus' name. There are three of you right now, and I'm going to need you to ask you to put up your hand. You have particular memories that are replayed like a video tape again and again in your mind, particularly when you come into the place of worship. It's like a particular memory about a sin or a situation that just gets replayed. It's like you feel blocked off from the presence of God. In fact, you just quickly lift up your hands. I think there are about three of you. One, two, three. Yeah, that's it. Now, just get ready. God's going to break that thing off of you because you you have been set free from sin. It's not supposed to hold you anymore. In the name of Jesus, I break that memory. I break the emotional attachment to that memory. I break the demonic influence of that memory. In the name of Jesus, I break the ability for that memory to block you off from the presence of God And in Jesus' name, I speak forgiveness over you. I speak freedom from those memories. I speak freedom from that situation. I break the attachment and the agreement that has disqualified you from the presence of God. And I say in Jesus' name, be free. You have free access to enjoy his presence. You have free access to live in the life of his goodness. And so in Jesus' name... I thank you for your anointing, Holy Spirit. Keep coming. Keep increasing freedom in Jesus' name. Shake off things in Jesus' name. Hey, let's all stand together and we're just going to declare the goodness of God. Can I ask you to pretend like you've just scored your first goal on the soccer field or the football field and uh, everyone is cheering, going crazy. And so I want you to do that for Jesus right now. Let's just declare his goodness. Come on, you can do a little bit better than that. Let's declare his goodness and his freedom in this house. In Jesus' name.
Yes, freedom, 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 freedom over people, freedom over people right now. Come on, just a little bit longer. Come on, let's lift it up a little bit more. Let's declare it. Let's declare freedom, freedom. This is a hustle, freedom. This is a hustle, freedom. No shame, no failure, no fear. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We're going to take a break. I think we'll take a break till about uh, 10 to, is that all right? 10 to 12, and we'll get back. If you've got questions, please, what you do. Can I encourage you, just in a moment, when we get back, I'm going to ask for some testimonies of what God has done here. And I know that for some of you, it's quite, it might be some personal things. Can I just say, this is a safe place. But what happens is, in the context of sharing testimony, it gives permission for other people to enter into the same experience that you just have. That's why we do testimonies. All right, and so I'm going to ask for testimonies, and so come ready to share some stories of what God's just done in terms of freedom. Amen. Let's have a great coffee break.